The Quarantine Conversations mini podcast series aims to show what it's like to be an earth, ocean, or atmospheric scientist. There's a lot of diversity under that umbrella, and not all our scientists wear lab coats. Today we're talking to Laura Termez, paleontologist. In this series, we aim to meet people at many stages of their scientific studies. Would you consider yourself to be a student, a teacher, a hobbyist, a researcher? How would you go about, Laura? consider myself to be a student researcher. Uh, currently, I'm a PhD student at Simon Fraser University researching extinct mammoths in British Columbia. Oh, really cool. Thanks. Uh, how did you get into that field? Well, it hasn't been very straightforward and it's been a rather meandering road to get here. Um, but I guess going back, I've always been attracted to nature, travel, and history. And when I was a kid, I thought maybe I could become a librarian or an airline stewardess or a farmer. Um, and so later in high school, all of those things kind of distilled um, into a focus uh, first on archaeology, which is kind of a piecemeal combination of those careers uh, in the form of digging in the ground, maybe like a farmer would, um, and combing through archives um, like librarians do. And, uh, and archaeology and paleontology, they often involve travel. Um, so it was a nice combination of those things that brought me towards uh, archaeology and later, currently, to paleontology. Um, about an hour and a half drive from Mary Anning's Lyme Regis Stomping Grounds, the famous paleontologist, um, I studied for my master's in osteoarchaeology. So really just looking at the, the hard tissue, the bone remains uh, at sites. And I was fascinated in the way in which humans impact the animals you find archaeologically um, and how animals also select the sites that they're found in. Um, and this human-animal interaction interest led me to work on um, human and animal bones uh, in archaeology in British Columbia for a number of years. Um, and so after doing that for a few years um, and thinking about these, these um, really connected human-animal interaction, interactions, um, it made me appreciate um, the deep time that these animals have uh, in relation to their environment. And my current thesis really delves into this, um, especially with mammoths, because they're fantastic uh, formers and maintainers of ecosystems. Really cool. Um, have you made any really cool discoveries yet? <laughs> Not yet. Uh, we're still waiting on radiocarbon dates. Uh, with mammoths to see if there's any um, more younger dates uh, relating to when humans were first in North America, in British Columbia, uh, to see if there's any overlap with that. Um, although working in archaeology in British Columbia, every time you dig a site, mm -hmm. um, you're always adding to the record, you're always adding knowledge to the record, however minor um, that is with learning about what new species people were using or uh, or tools or ways in which people were using the environment. So, so far, just, mi just minor things. Okay, interesting. Um, in like two or three sentences, could you describe uh, what you're currently researching? I know you've kind of touched on this already a bit. Yeah, for sure. Um, so I'm part of the British Columbia Megafauna Project. Um, and this project involves researchers at Simon Fraser and at UBC. And what we're doing is we're looking for Pleistocene megafaunal remains from across the province. So this can be in museums or institutions or people's homes. Um, and so we're looking for animals like mammoth and mastodon, short-faced bear, 
an ancient bison and horse. Um, and we want to know when they lived from radiocarbon dating. Uh, we want to learn about their health and their age um, from their bones. And uh, we also want to learn more about their diet and environment. Um, and we can do that through chemical analysis using stable isotope analysis. So it sounds like you're a bit of a chemist as well. Well, there's a little bit of lab work. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> uh, do you get out into the field very often? Yeah, usually I want a, a bigger project uh, once a summer. And then, uh, of course, when I used to be an archaeologist, it was um, lots of digging all the time on little minor projects, uh, mostly residential um, home projects, because mm. the BC coast is littered with sites everywhere. Um, and it was pretty much all year in rain and snow and sunshine. Excellent. Uh, one common theme that we find with um, our Earth, Ocean and Atmospheric scientists is that they always seem to have like crazy field stories. Uh, has anything nifty ever happened to you out in the field? <laughs> I don't know if I have any super crazy stories. Um, most of them, I think, revolve around lots of heat and bugs and a lot of weird rashes going to the local hospitals to get a medication for weird bug bites and things. Um, but there's a few, a few uh, projects that definitely stick out in my mind and be very unique experiences. Um, I was in Israel and we were digging about 10k away from the Gaza Strip oh. um, at a time when it was, um, there was missiles hitting it um, and we could hear, we were only 10k away so we could hear it just that sounded so close. Um, we were in the in the Negev desert at the time, and it's very windswept landscape. Uh, there's nothing really around except for like a gully and a shed, and where we ate lunch, some tables, and an outhouse. <laughs> and one day, I emerged from the outhouse, and I nearly ran into a herd of running camels. Um, <laughs> and they were probably running and startled because an Israeli forces helicopter landed on our site. Um, wondering what the heck we were doing there. Our, um, our shade tent was uh, camo, so they definitely wanted to see what we were doing. Um, but I think they were relieved. We were just a bunch of nerds to begin, uh, so they weren't too concerned. Um, yeah, and reflecting on other projects I've been on, um, I, I think the most unique ones are when you can really get this sense of time and continuity of the past and present. Um, and as someone who gets very hangry, especially when I'm working hard digging, uh, it's the food that really stands out to me. Uh, I was digging in Labrador and I uh, had the opportunity to live with a Métis family and they just absolutely found it hilarious um, at my fascination of what they were eating and, and the foods that I thought were just absolute delicacies were kind of marginal to them. And they, some, some of the things they just thought weren't even good enough to eat. Um, like the heads of Arctic char that were drying in their basement, um, the spindly back legs of crab uh, that they just, you know, mostly discarded because the, the big claws that they had for export, um, and gall eggs, seagull eggs, which have a very unique fishy taste to them. Um, I devoured all of these foods, and I, uh, and, but they wanted me to save some of it for the garbage bears in town that were kind of like the local entertainment. Um, <laughs> and uh, lots of stories kind of circulate in small communities. And one of them was the fact that uh, my tent, which had about 100 pounds of uh, rocks in it, we were tenting while we were digging, um, blew away in a windstorm. Um, thankfully, I was not inside. And uh, years later, a couple of the 
members from the same project went back to the town. And a lot of the fishermen said they were still looking for my tent in water. <laughs> water. So it's funny how these kind of little stories, you know, go on in communities. Um, another kind of story that really was um, a tasty story. I was in Malta and we were digging near a convent where we were staying. And uh, for lunch, there was one lunch place that I had one dish every day for lunch. And it changed, but it was always the same main course, which was rabbit. Was rabbit in a million different ways. Rabbit stew, rabbit lasagna, rabbit pie. Um, and all very, very delicious, but uh, not ideal when you've been digging in 35 degree heat and you're eating hot rabbit stew. Uh, and years later, I was excavating in Powell River here in British Columbia and uh, at, a, at a place where Maltese nuns were living. And what, you know what? I found a pile of rabbit bones. So I just find it interesting, these cultural habits that you know can cross continents. You know, I'm really hungry, um, and I'm hoping that all field stories center around food. Because I think they do. Food's a major part. This is, uh, especially now uh, during the quarantine, um, all we're doing is cooking, so. Oh, so true. A lot of great mm. ideas. Yeah. Okay. Um, why is your research important, and uh, does it have any real-world applications, or does it connect to the present world in any sure. way? Sure. Um, our society, of course, aside from being, you know, thinking about this pandemic, we're really um, tuned into climate change. And I think it's increasingly a tangible thing for us because now it's, you know, visible within a generation. Um, and with this rapid, rapid visual change, um, I think extinct species and eco ecosystems are becoming more relatable to the public um, and are seen as more reflective of, of us. You know, that could be us. Um, and so, um, with current climate change questions, we can look back in time and see how species were impacted by the changing temperature and available food as the ice gave way and retreated. Um, and I think it's just nice to kind of frame our current change and what, what we could experience um, and reflect back to see how it's been dealt with in the past. Okay. It, uh... It sounds like you're really passionate about your work. Um, what's your favorite part about it? My favorite part is definitely talking to people. Um, I love visiting museums. I've always loved museums. And um, I think it's a huge part of, um, of communities. It's, it's how museums want to tell the community story, um, both, both you know, modern historical stuff and, and the natural history. Um, and I think disseminating, disseminating the research that we're going to find um, in our data, like, like the dates and like what these animals are eating, um, I think adds a nice depth to, um, to exhibit design in community museums. Um, I've also really enjoyed talking to collectors because they have such um, uh, an intimate bond with the landscape that they collect in um, and have a really good understanding of, of past landscapes. Um, and so they're really helpful when trying to, to imagine the kind of world in which these great massive extinct herbivores were, were living in. Um, and so, yeah, I just, I love talking to people, especially, um, I grew up on Vancouver Island and a lot of my friends and, and acquaintances, they had no idea that mammoths and all these other great animals were hung out on Vancouver Island. Um, and I think just sharing the fact that we have this really 
unique and special heritage. Um, and just telling everyone about that, it's a very exciting thing for me. <laughs> I would certainly agree with that. Um, okay. Now, would you say that there are any problems you wish you could solve or um, anything you'd like to see in the field going forward? Sure, yeah, I, I have a very kind of narrow view on this because I'm rather new to paleontology. Um, but what I've been finding is, um, while we've sampled a lot, a lot of material, um, some things uh, that we've sampled had, um, had their tissues preserved a few years ago. Like they had viable collagen and yet I'm sampling it a few years later and we're finding it's you know, deteriorating. Um, a lot of this material like teeth and bones have been found in kind of the last hundred years um, and they have a shelf life. Um, I think even though we think museums are this great repository that have amazing curatorial standards and are well, well um, taken care of, while this is true, um, the chemical uh, the heart tissues, the tissues in the bones do deteriorate. Um, so we need to sample, sample, sample. Um, to get the data now before it um, it becomes basically uh, no more information can be taken from these bones. Okay, sounds like you're racing the clock. <laughs> A little bit. Um, now, other things that we have to worry about, of course, today, uh, the COVID-19 uh, pandemic. Uh, has this impacted your work at all or? Yeah, so like many of you, I've been working from home on um, schoolwork, and that's been fine. Um, but this summer, we're kind of going to do the last sampling round. Um, there was a few more museums and people I wanted to visit kind of in the north north section of uh, the province. Uh, and that, of course, has been put on hold, um, as well as lab work at Simon Fraser has been put on hold because it, like other campuses in Canada, are also closed. Um, and there's also been lab delays um, with getting radiocarbon dates back. Um, so there's a few delays, um, but I'm not worried because we'll just, just, we'll just do this later and that's okay. Excellent. Well, Laura, it's always a treat to talk to you. Um, and I hope you get through this all okay. Thank you very much. I look forward to learning about all your great discoveries coming up. Same, yeah, I can't wait to get some data back. Okay, Laura, take care. Thanks, you too.